continuing the uh, homily series on living baptism, being transformed into Christ. We've come to this point beginning last week and now into this week where we're starting to talk about interior mortification or interior self-denial. We've talked about in the first week with Jesus' temptation in the desert, avoiding temptations, and then with the transfiguration, desiring holiness. And then last week with the Samaritan woman, what Jesus does to her, not only in forgiving her sins, but she purifies her memory to where she, he pulls out this memory that she has almost forgotten, that she has had five husbands, put it under his gaze, so that she may forget it and the shame and proclaim Jesus Christ as Savior. So this week, with the gospel and the first reading that we heard, this man who is born blind, who sees nothing, is ironically, as so often the gospels, the only one who sees Jesus for who he is. We're going to talk about the purification of the imagination and how those Pharisees, because their imagination remains impure, is unable to see Jesus as the Son of God. So first, let's talk about what the imagination is, what its purpose is. The imagination does is that it presents images to us so that we can go beyond the image and think abstract thoughts. This is what makes man different from the animals. The animals have memory. They have imagination. But monkeys have yet to write poetry, and alligators have yet to talk about sunsets. But man is able to go beyond the image, abstract, and look to God. This is reflected in beautiful church architecture often where when you start from the back of the church to go to the front, you have in this like kind of back-to-front order least importance to greatest importance, where you'll notice all these different saints, and then you might notice Mary and Joseph, and then there is Christ, that our imagination should be a catalyst to help us know and love the truth. This is why Jesus so often speaks to his disciples in parables. Not because Jesus cares that the disciples know about things about seeds or sheep or goats or fishing nets or treasure, but that using those images, they may have a clearer idea of who God is so that they may love him. Now, what is the problem with the imagination now that we have fallen? St. Teresa of Avila says the imagination in the fallen person is like the mad woman in the house, just like constantly presenting and, and making a big fuss. Our imagination goes wild, and it really goes wild and presents itself in two ways, through temptation and dissipation. First, with temptation. What the imagination does in a fallen person and fallen sinner, as we are, is that it takes something and presents it to the mind much more appealing than it actually is. Let's say, for example, you gave up donuts for Lent. 
you go to meshes and you get the donut out of the 12 pack of donuts, this is still a beautiful sight. Of course it is. It's fantastic. But it's all like flaky. It's dented in, you know, like if you don't go before 10 a.m., then the glaze aren't hot, you know, like it's not, it's not what you thought it was because in your imagination, this donut had like a dress on, you know, it was pristine, it was radiating, it was glowing, it was actually floating in my imagination. The way that the imagination works is that it dresses up appealing things to be way more appealing than they are. And on the flip side, the imagination dresses up hard things to be way more hard than they are. Like it's going to be so hard for me to get up and work out. If I go to res this morning, I will die. It's going to happen. I'm going to die this time. Like my body will be dragged throughout the locker room. It's going to be embarrassing, right? The imagination makes difficult things seem more difficult, easy things, uh, appealing things even more appealing through temptation. We know this not only with things like gluttony or, you know, greed, like I'm going to buy that perfect car and once I drive it off the lot, this is the one that will never get scratched, right? But also with things like adult explicit material, right? The imagination makes it seem that much more appealing than it is in reality. But the second way in which the imagination fails us is dissipation. Our imagination dissipates. We are in a culture that is incapable of paying attention. We can easily spend three hours watching cats in 10 second clips, but cannot spend 30 minutes focused upon God. That is a symbol of how our imagination is running around like the mad woman in the house, just going from thing to thing to thing to thing. The problem with this is that we know that secular science, psychology is coming out with these studies that like, why are our youth so depressed whenever they use social media so much? They can pose the problem, but unless we acknowledge that God is the object of the human mind, then they cannot answer the question. That is, that the imagination is supposed to lead us to contemplate God, even in the humanity of Jesus Christ. That I look to Christ on the cross, and then I know the love of God the Father who I cannot see. And so dissipation leaves us sad. It leaves us incapable of having any kind of death. Dissipation is something like we see in the first reading with Jesse and Samuel. That if we live in this world of superficiality, concerned with different images, then when we look at Jesse, who says Samuel, like, oh, you want to anoint one of these guys? I've got this guy. He's six foot six. He can bench 350 pounds and he runs a 4440. You know, this is the one that you want to anoint, right? He's like, nope. Well, you got this guy, you know, like he's a great warrior. This is the one you want to want to anoint. Nope. And then Samuel looks at, at, um, David and says, this is the one the Lord does not see according to appearance, but he sees into the heart. A purified imagination allows us to see more deeply into humanity, into the things of the world and into who God is. And so now that we know what the problem with the imagination is, 
we can start to look at how is it that we will heal the imagination. First, the purified imagination looks like whenever I look at the mysteries of the rosary and place myself in the place of maybe Mary's visitation or of the crucifixion or of the agony in the garden, that I'm there. And being there in that purified imagination, I can come to love Jesus and his mother more deeply. Or it looks like being able to focus at Mass and see the images of the candles burning, representing the light of Christ, or the smoke of the incense being lifted up to heaven, or Christ hidden under the appearance of bread. The imagination purified can take all of these things and not be distracted by them, but be distracted through them into the mystery of God. So with that said, what can we do on our end to purify our imagination so that we can be distracted into the mystery of God? First, I can only imagine things that I've seen. We need to have custody of our external senses. So this is true for those who are shown like explicit images, is that because they've shown them now, the imagination haunts them. And so what needs to happen is that a removal from that image, and after time and replacing it with holy images, then the imagination becomes more and more purified. If I am struggling with all these different thoughts, then I need to be surrounded by holier things. Do not be afraid to make my house kind of look like a religious gift store, if it means so. Like, make my house a holy place if I desire it to to live a holy life. Secondly, we need to have prudent selection of what, how we entertain ourselves. The way that we entertain ourselves as Americans is kind of backwards. We entertain ourselves into dragging ourselves down. Rather than leisure should be something where I lift myself up. If I notice that going to Mass is a burden, it means that I have an impure imagination. Because what I've done is gotten into binge-watching something or going through all these different little things and not able to, to focus, if that's the case, then I am always diverting myself. My entertainment should be a diversion from time to time, but resting is something that should be particular to God. That on the seventh day, God rested, and he desires man to rest in him as well. The third point, the Latin, age quod agis. Age quod agis. Do what you are doing. So often the imagination goes wild is because we are disengaged with the task at hand. We don't want to labor in on our studies or lean into the tasks that we have at work or lean into just our chores. And so because of that, we escape the present reality in our mind. But if we are able to age quod agis, do the thing that I am doing and do it presently, 
then the imagination starts to be purified more and more and more. And I'm able to be present to reality that is in front of me, and so able to be present to God as well. And then fourthly, distractions will come, and we should be indifferent to them, paying them no mind. We can use that beautiful allegory, that historical allegory, of Peter walking on the water toward Jesus Christ. That the one thing that matters for the mind is that it is fixed upon God, because the mind will be fixed upon God for all eternity in heaven. And so we should pay no attention to distractions when we pray or when we're trying to do the thing that we are trying to do in the moment, in the same way that Peter should pay no mind to the wind that is roaring in his ears or in the water that is churning underneath his feet because he is headed toward Jesus Christ. We should pay no attention to distractions. And so we ask that the Lord can take that faculty that he has given us, the imagination, that he can make it a holy thing, that whenever we go into our imagination, that we can be with Jesus Christ when we pray the rosary, when we are at the Mass, a holy place that is delightful, that is restful, so that we can contemplate God, who is our true and lasting happiness.